if you could see, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> if you could see adrenaline, it would be oozing out of my ears and nose right now. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm like so keyed up. I can't wait. Can't wait for today. Didn't speak for the last two weeks. So that always leads to a little more juice. <laughs> and then, you know, launching rooted and, and snow and cold and fun. And I'm just like, wow, can't wait. So excited. How are you? Good. Here to catch your ooze. Yeah, there we go. So if, you, if you're born in a decade that begins with a two, three, four, five, or six, you can tell the kids out there that this is what winter used to be like. <laughs> I mean, you know, we used to get snow. We used to get cold. It used to be all over the place. I will say Buffalo does a far better job clearing it. Far, far better. Now, granted, the next storm is coming this week. They've got to do it. But nonetheless, what a fun week to just kind of finally have a weather prediction come true. Right? It was amazing. <laughs> it was just amazing. So had a lot of fun with that. How have you been this week? Good. Very busy. Yeah. Amping up for our own uh, student-rooted and, and getting ready to, to be a part of the whole thing. So yeah, very, very good. Wonderful. Well, you got your uh, update yesterday. And one of the things we've changed on the update as well as the Dwell app. If you don't get the update yet, you can go onto our website and there's a link to be able to just go ahead and sign up yourself. So you don't have to go to the uh, Info Hub to get signed up. You can do that. And the same with the Dwell app. You can go right to the website, sign up for those things. But love that a lot of you lately have been signing up to get this, get the, the weekly information that comes. And basically there were, there were two things that we were really pushing this week. The first was, of course, rooted starting, mm -hmm. workbooks, <laughs> Here's the bad thing about snow, right? The workbooks are somewhere between California and here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for some of you who don't have your workbook yet, we at least have a copy of the intro and week one so that you're not going to be left out until your book comes. But supposed to come last week, and now they're saying Wednesday. So anyway, uh, but you got your book. I saw a lot of you walking in with it today, ready to get started on this. And then the other thing that's taking place is that, that a lot of us are getting involved in this in the context of a, of a group. Mm -hmm. We're getting into a journey group with other people and uh, literally have one every day, I think, except Saturday. Every day of the week, there's a journey group going on. And uh, we really, really, really want to push as much as we can using the church app for the sake of connecting with each other. I know when you think about connection, you know, my goodness, you've got a phone, you've got email, you've got text, you can message through Facebook, you've got all these things. Why are we adding one more thing to the list? Well, can I jump in there? You sure can. There are, a couple, there are a couple of reasons that I see personally. One, if you, are, if you have people in your group that are Android people and Apple people, those phones don't always like to talk to each other. So you, God brings them together? God brings them together. Awesome. So those, this is great. I know that we've all been a part of, of those text groups where someone you know, with an Apple phone likes a comment and then the next five people like the comment and you're getting an actual message saying, so-and-so love the comment. That's not going to happen in the church app. The other thing that I love about it is it's an opportunity for everybody to talk and keep that, um, keep that focus on group material. So maybe you have questions about what's going on in the group, when you're meeting, you know, if snow is coming, whatever. You can have that communication. But I know when I'm trying to scroll through group texts and trying, you know, trying to find one specific thing that we said, it's tough to do. Mm -hmm. Keeping this context separate and, and being able to quickly reference it and quickly address it is, is really important. I agree. It's, it, I, I've really found it very useful. One of the things I find as a group leader that's helpful for me is that it compiles your email addresses and your phone numbers so that I can very easily text or email you as opposed to having to go and literally populate my contact contacts on my phone mm -hmm. to be able to send things out. So it, it helps with that. So if you, if you have the app already, I'd love for you to pull your phone out right now. And if you don't have it, uh, you can try downloading it. But if we all try downloading it at the same time, the roof will probably cave in on us. So, um, but if you go ahead and look at it, I want you to see that when you open up the app, this is part of what I love. First page, it gives you all the things. You can literally, third button down, weekend update. You don't even have to wait for the email. There it is, the link. You can see it right there on your phone. Song and scripture. So you click that and you're able to see the songs we're doing for the weekend. You can read or listen to the scripture right there. So all those things are available. You can watch online. You can listen with links there. Uh, we even have that one uh, link there called the story 
And that's a video that just, it tells the story of the Gospels. You know, sometimes you're in the conversation with somebody and you're trying to explain it and they're looking at you like, what are you talking about? You can literally pull out your phone and say, here, watch this, boom. And you've got that ability to be able to uh, share with people. So that's the opening page. But I wanted to see along the bottom of the opening page, and it's not the easiest to see because they have it in gray. You have four buttons at the bottom, home, give, groups, and events. Give, groups, and events are, are three ways that just make connection. Very easy. You could literally give to church through the app. You can register for camp for Green Lake, which Green Lake is signing up. It's been so fun. I heard somebody was like literally waiting at midnight with their finger over the button (laughs) to get signed up for Green Lake. Can't wait. You can do that through the app. And the other thing is all your groups are populated on the app. So, so I have my magic orange, my magic red circle here. Let's pretend that's my chubby finger. And I click groups. If I click groups, here's what comes up for me. All the groups I'm in. You're like, you're a group junkie. Well, not really. Uh, There are a couple I'm leading. Overseers is one of my groups. We use this for some of our serving groups Mm -hmm. so that that's easily populated. But they're all right there. So you see that green one there that says rooted. Those are the rooted leaders. Those are the people that are leading small groups right now for us. So again, if I were to take that old chubby finger and hit rooted, what would come up is a page of who's in the group. And I love this. So it tells me that that group has 20 members and then it gives their names. I, I, I got rid of their personal information primarily because I don't know who in China is watching <laughs> right now. But anyway, we just want to make sure that uh, all you can see right now is their picture. This is what I love about this. You join a new group, and you don't know anybody in the group. You can go look at their picture, Mm -hmm. and you can get the reassurance of seeing their picture at least. And then you can choose, do I want these people to know my email? Do I want these people to know my phone number? You actually get to choose that, decide that. How do you do that? Well, you see right under Dennis Papp, it says, edit visible info. In fact, let me give you a red arrow in case you can't see it. There it is, edit visible info. If I click that, it gives me the option of revealing my photo, of revealing my email address, and of revealing my phone number, all three. I can choose one of them. What we'd love for everybody to do is at least reveal their picture. And I'd love for it to be a picture of you, not your dog, <laughs> not, not your favorite food. I know some of us, we like to have an image out there that's not us. Get, get a picture of you or you and your spouse or you and your clan. No, it's, got, it's small, so we need to be able to see you. But get that picture on there. Now, here's the thing that, that this app does. It goes along with all the other programs that we have, with giving, with groups, with events, and all those things. They've decided, and I agree with this, that personal information is personal, that you should have to choose, do I want to share this with other people? And they have it set up so that every time you join a new group, you got to choose again. So it's not a time and eternity, one size fits all, I'm, I'm doing this forever. Mm-hmm. So you join a new group, you need to go in and click. And if you do, you get to see the other people that are in your group. This One of the things we're really trying to push during this season, this has been a season of growth for us. It's been a season that new people have come and called Southfield home. And we we believe as a church, names are important. Connecting is important. Hey, bud, (laughs) isn't enough. We want to know names. We want to have that connection. This will help to provide that connecting point. So so please, you know, some of you are like, well, I'm not very technologically savvy. I'm not calling them out, but, you know, Dale and Patty Hansen figured out how to get their picture on there. So here's the Dale bar on technology, right? He did it. You can do it. Everybody can do this, okay? And Dale will admit that. I'm not mocking Dale. They, you know, can do it. And that is a part of the, the rooted curriculum. I mean, right here in week one, we talked about, or we read about, going from complacent to consumer, consumer to connected. This mm-hmm. is the, the start of that connection. It's a, piece, it's a piece of connection. So please, get that done. Get that done. It's really important. Uh, students, I mean, I already hit a couple things, kind of stole some thunder, but that's yeah, what happens when good. I'm oozing with adrenaline. So <laughs> yeah. go ahead and tell us about what Yeah, happening. two major things for students. One is that Green Lake registration is officially open, and this is the first time in, I think, 10 years um, that, that the Carlsons were not the first ones. Uh, the Finks <laughs> jumped in there, which is just so cool. Um, but we do, we do have limited spots um, as we have in the last couple of years. So make sure that if you know you're going first week of June, coming with us to Green Lake, that you get ready.
registered for that. Um, and you can do that as soon as possible. The rates do go up later in the registration period, so the earlier you do it, the more time you'll have to pay and the more, um, the more money you'll save. So please, please, please get registered. We're really excited about going back up there this year, and uh, it should be a great time. Next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and I learned a long time ago it's not a wise idea to fight something that American culture has Adopted treated, as a national holiday. Yeah, it has, yeah. that treats like Christmas. So um, it, we never cancel as, as a result of the Super Bowl because God comes first. So we're going to put God in that 12 to 2 window instead of 6 to 8. So we know that, you know, you guys have family stuff to do for Super Bowl. You got to eat all the dip. Got to make the kids eat all the, the leftovers and the pizza and all that. So, so next Sunday, Revive will meet right after church from 12 to 2 uh, before everybody heads off for their Super Bowl activities. Wonderful. Thanks. Good. You can head out. I'm going to get started. God in heaven, how grateful we are to be in your house today with your people. I love that we don't have to put our name and picture in a nap for you to know us. You know us fully and completely inside and out. Good, bad, and ugly, you see it all. And what's amazing is good, bad, and ugly, you see it all, and you love us. You love us. You love us because of ourselves. You love us despite ourselves. Mostly you love us because you are love. And I'm grateful for that. So God, as we, as we set out on this venture, the truth is we're getting to know some things about ourselves. Things you already know. Reveal them to us. Show us things we need to know in order to grow. Reveal it. We're good at assuming that we know what needs to change. We know what needs to happen. You know. Prompt us. Open our eyes. Help us to see that that thing that we cherish is something that we should throw away. Help us to see that the thing that we, that we resist is the thing we should be embracing. Help us to see us for who we really are. And like Isaiah in the Bible, when we see that, there's probably going to be a sense of, woe is me, I am undone. I am a person of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord. But God, it is only when that revelation takes place that we will finally be ready to grow. We want to grow. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a kid, I had a bookmark in my Bible. And I tried finding the bookmark. I really do believe I threw it away. Because it was a plastic bookmark given to me by a friend like a million decades ago. And the plastic started to get old and started to get brittle and a corner chipped off and another corner chipped off. And then before you know it, the plastic itself started to fall apart. And, and even though I'm not a fan of throwing things away, I'm sure that bookmark ended up in the trash. Had a verse on it and I loved the verse. And it was years later that, that I was here on a Sunday and someone walked up to me and handed me a card. And when I looked at the card, I thought, I know that verse. I know that verse because that verse is the verse that was on my bookmark. It's a verse from the book of Colossians. And I love the book of Colossians and I love the, the church of Colossae. I think there were certain churches that when, when Paul showed up at those churches, there were a few churches he showed up, Corinth, that he went, ugh. And there were a few churches that when he showed up, he, he was energized and excited. They were churches that truly brought him life. And I think the church of Colossae was one of those churches. You can read it in the writing. You can, you can hear him just expressing his love for the growth that they're experiencing. You come over to chapter 2 and verse 7. And there's a verse that says, Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. You let those roots go down deep into him. And I love that it says into him. It doesn't say let your roots grow down deep into theology or religion or something else. It says grow into him. Let your roots go down into him. And it says let your life be built on him. In fact, if you look at the broader context of that verse, if you go back to verse 6, he says now, just as you have accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, he, he acknowledges 
Jesus is in your life. He says, now that you've accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, you must continue to follow him. Such an important message for us to hear. Because I think for too many of us, we think of our salvation as kind of an event. It was the day that we accepted Christ. It's the day that he came into our life and we went, phew, now I'm not going to go to hell. Phew, now I'm going to go to heaven. See you then, God. And we went on living our life. God says, hey, you don't become a believer and then put your car in neutral and coast to the grave. I want you to follow I want you to continue following. And that's so much of what we're going to be talking about in the next 10 weeks. Because our growth is not just automatic. Growth doesn't just happen to us. We need to choose to follow. We choose to follow. He says, when you choose to follow, this is what it looks like. You're letting your roots go down deeply into Christ. And you're building your life on him. He says, you know what happens then? When you do that, your faith grows strong in the truth you were taught, and you overflow with thanksgiving. He says, you want proof that your roots are going into Christ? You want proof that that house is being built? The proof is in your life. Are you, are you growing strong in the truth? Are you overflowing with thankfulness? It's like looking at a plant. I can tell a tomato plant is a tomato plant because I know tomato plants, but if I didn't know a tomato plant, you know how I'd know that's a tomato plant? I'd see tomatoes. Same thing with us. It's one thing to say I'm a Christian, but there should be the fruit of Christianity in our lives. And part of the fruit of Christianity is that we're growing in our faith and truth, and we're growing in in thankfulness. Roots are so important. Roots, I, I love the pictures that Paul uses here, because both of them have to do with things we cannot see. Roots go down deep into the ground. Well, house, he says, build your life on this. Your life on what? On the foundation of Jesus. You have a weak or broken foundation, you're going to have a horrible building. You have weak or, 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 or dead roots, you're going to have a dead plant. Jesus loved the concept of roots. He saw rootedness as a piece of what it meant to literally walk the spiritual walk. He tells a story, a common parable, in Matthew chapter 13. In this common parable, he says there's this farmer and he wanted to plant some seeds. And I love the way he says that, he wanted to plant some seeds. Because this farmer, when I look at this farmer, he didn't plant some seeds, he planted a lot of seeds. This is not a farmer. I think if I were farming, I'd buy my seed and I'd go, I'm going to pick the perfect ground to put this seed on. I might even go out there and plant them one at a time, nurture them, make sure. Not this guy. He just, boom, he's flinging the seed everywhere it can go. He's just, he's throwing the seed because he wants a bumper crop. And so he starts throwing the seed and, and, and some, of the, some of the seed falls along the path. It falls along the path. And unfortunately, the path is not a place that's conducive to growth. Not only do you have birds coming and eating the seed, you have people walking on the path, you have cars driving over the path. It's going to be tough to grow in the path. It says some of it fell there and it didn't get a chance to grow. Now every once in a while you'll be walking along and you'll notice in the sidewalk or in the street a little plant that's managed to come up through a crack. You're like, isn't that cool? It's not going to last long. It's just not going to last long. There isn't a good condition there for growth, which, which brings us to the second kind of soil. He said some of it fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks. So it wasn't the path. But there was stuff going on underneath that was going to cause those roots to only go so far. And then they were going to stop. And then the heat of life was going to come. A drought was going to come. And when that heat comes, when that sun glares, when that drought takes place, and those roots aren't deep, the plant dies says, further, there was some seed that was, that was thrown on great ground. Problem is, it had bad neighbors. He throws it out. Great ground, it starts to grow, but so do the thorns, so do the dandelions, so do the thistles, and all those other things. And they, and they crowd in, and they choke out that great plant, and it doesn't have the chance to grow. But then there was some seed that fell on perfect dirt had just the right amount of fertilizer, had just the right amount of warmth, had just the right amount of tilling and working and softness and beauty. And that seed planted and that root started to go and it went down ever so deep and it, and it produced fruit like crazy, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It couldn't stop producing fruit. 
I've learned in my life, after many years of being a pastor, that I get really excited when someone comes to Christ. But there's something in me too that holds my breath. Because I wonder, what's the soil like? Did that seed just fall on the soil where the roots get to grow down deep? Did it just fall on the road? Did it, did it end up in a situation where the cares of life are going to choke it out? And only time tells what happens to the seed. Only time tells. Here's the desire of God for all of us, that we fall on good soil and that the roots go down really, really deep. Roots fascinate me. We've got these oak trees out here that are over 100 years old behind us. Do you know the number of storms those trees have gone through in the past 100 years, including a few this past summer, where 60 and 70 mile an hour winds came through? You know what's amazing? Some of our trees this past year actually cracked off in the wind but they didn't fall at the root. Those oak trees stayed strong because they have roots that go down deep, beautifully designed by God to make sure that something that tall and that big could withstand the wind. I stand in that wind and I get bumped along because my roots aren't deep. My feet are on the ground. I grow plants. I love to grow a garden. And a piece of gardening is coming to the end of the season and cleaning up. And I got to admit, there's a little bit of sadness. When, when the growing season is done, it's like, oh, man, no more tomatoes. I got to go back and get those things from Jewel that they call a tomato that tastes like foam. I'm just, you know, I, I, want, I want my good food. But here's what I love about cleaning up at the end of the season. I love going out and pulling out the plants and looking at the roots. I didn't get to look at the roots all season long. If I had been always, oh, neat roots, and put it back in, no fruit for you. It doesn't work that way. But, you know, I've done this long enough by now that I can pretty much tell, based on the condition of the plant and the amount of fruit that I got during the year, I can pretty much tell what those roots are going to be like. And sometimes I'm tugging at a tomato plant, and it's not wanting to come out of the ground. And other times, because its roots didn't get down deep. God desires for us to grow deep roots in him. Let your roots go down deep into him. Let your life be built on him. You've received Christ. You've received Christ. Continue to follow him. You got work to do. We've got work to do to follow Jesus. So the work we're going to be undertaking this season is the work of roots, the work of rhythms, and the work of relationships. These are going to be the three areas that we're going to focus over the next 10 weeks. Growing our roots down deep into him, the rhythms that help that to grow, and the relationships needed in order to see growth happen. So let's let's start with roots. You might say we already started with roots. Yeah, we already started with roots, but let's take it one more step. John chapter 9, one of the miracles of Jesus that is so common and so beautiful In John chapter 9, the passage starts out, and Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he's walking along. They see this man, and it says he's been blind since birth. Can you imagine that condition? Can you imagine never having seen your mother, never having seen your bedroom, never having seen your cereal, never having seen anything ever? My grandmother, toward the end of her life, lost her sight by diabetes. I believe she saw me at birth, but by the time I can remember, she was already blind. We go to her house every Saturday night, and when we get there, she wanted to see us. She sat in a folding, rocking lawn chair in the kitchen, and she was a classic babushka lady. She was only 73, but she looked like a 150-year-old Hungarian woman sitting there, complete with kerchief, no teeth, the whole works, gray hair. She's sitting there, and it looks like one of the Russians on those commercials. You know, she's just sitting there. And, and, and we'd walk up to her, and we'd stand right there by the rocker, and she'd reach out her hands, and the skin on her hands was paper thin, and she had tiny hands, and she'd, she'd touch her face, and she'd touch your nose. Sometimes her finger would end up in your nose, and she'd touch your ears, and she'd touch your hair, and she'd touch your neck. And the whole time, she'd, she'd just be kind of whimpering, crying. She was seeing her grandchild, and she was loving what she was seeing. This guy had never seen in his life. He had no idea what was going on. And I love this because this is, you know, his, Jesus' disciples think they're starting to get it, right? 
They've hung around him long enough. They're like, yeah, we're, we're pals with Jesus. We get this. And so what do they do? They want to break into a little theological discussion. Lord, look at that blind guy over there. Hmm. What do you think? He sin? His parents sin? Why is he blind? Now think about it. He's blind since birth. What sin did he commit in the womb for crying aloud? He didn't sin, obviously. But maybe his parents sinned. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe there's a reason that he is in this condition. Jesus responds by saying it's not his sin. It's not his parents' sin. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Would you look at those words? Look at those words because I'm convinced today there is a condition in your life that you hate. There's a condition in your life that you wish was different. There's a condition in your life that you resist. You might even think, what did I do wrong? What did my parents do wrong? What did the people do wrong in my life that caused me to be here? Here's the question. Is it possible that that thing you hate and that thing you resist is in your life because God wants to show his power through it? And you've been resisting it like crazy. And he's saying, this is an opportunity for the power of God to be displayed through your life. Well, Jesus does this thing that, um, let's just say, he doesn't follow the science, okay? He spits on the ground. He makes some mud. And he puts it on the blind guy's eyes. Now, I suspect if the guy could see, he'd be going, what? But he can't see. So the mud, the mud goes on his eyes, and he's got this spit mud on his eyes. And Jesus says, you need to go wash, man. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I love this. The guy didn't like, well, I don't know. I've got things to do. I mean, I'm begging. I'm going to lose my spot here on the side of the road. The man went and washed, and he came back seeing. Can you imagine that moment? That moment that he takes the water to his eyes, and he rubs, and he opens his eyes. And for the first time in his life, he sees his hands. And then he's like, these are mine. I've felt them all my life. And he sees the water and he sees the people around him. He sees all this stuff. He is changed in an instant because of this mud spit on his eyes. He's changed in an instant because of Jesus. This thing that he thought was a curse, this thing other people thought was a curse, was actually there so the power of God could be seen in him. His neighbors and the other who knew him saw him and they're like... Isn't that the guy that's always back? Isn't that the blind guy? Some say, no, it just looks like him. Saying, no, nah, it can't be. And so they ask him, are you the blind guy? I, I, really? And, and he's like, yeah, it's me. It's me. Same one. Who healed you? What happened? How did this take place? And he just tells him, he says, a man called Jesus came. He made mud. He spread it over my eyes. He said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. I went, I washed, I can see. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? Tell me more about him. He's like, I don't know. You know what I love about that piece? You don't have to have every answer about Jesus in order to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to have it all theologically figured out before you can tell people what Jesus did in your life. What we have here in this man's life is one monstrous intersection. We have the point that his story and God's stories crossed. We have the point that his pain, his problem, and Jesus' power intersected. And every one of us have that same intersection that takes place in our lives. There is a moment that the pain or the problem in our life, the issue that we're facing, is crossed by Jesus and his power, and we have a choice. Are we going to go wash the mud off our eyes, or are we just going to sit there and wait for something else to happen? The opportunity is here. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow? Are we going to obey? Are we going to do what we're supposed to do? I love the rest of the story because the religious leaders talk, find out about it. They're hacked off. They can't heal blind people. Jesus can heal blind people. He must be a magician. He must be empowered by Satan. Something's going on. And so they want to know what went on. They want to know what happened. They call in the parents. They ask the parents, wasn't this a blind kid? Wasn't he blind since birth? We don't know a thing. They do a Sergeant Soltz. I know nothing. They just, you, you talk to him. You talk to him. I don't, keep us out of this. We just want to keep coming to temple, you know? We like temple. And, and so, they talked to the guy and like what happened who did this and 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 his story is so succinct and so beautiful 
You know, they're asking, do you think he's a sinner? Do you think he's evil? What do you think about him? And, and the blind man just says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know. I'm not a theologian. You guys are the theologians. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. There it is, folks. At some point, the power of God intersected with your life, and you don't have to know all the theological details of Jesus to be able to simply say, here's the thing, I was blind, and now I see. So one of the things we're going to get into in Rooted, what's your blind man's story? What's your blind man's story? You're like, well, I, I can't do theology. Neither could he. Don't worry about that. I don't do speeches. You don't have to do speeches. We want you to identify what's that moment in your life that your pain, that your life and the power of Jesus intersected and you started following after God. Now, one of the things Rooted suggested is that everybody in the group needs to tell their story. And I say that, and I can hear saliva drying up in people's mouths. You know, they're like, I don't do that. Don't make me talk in front of people. And it's so funny because the same person will dominate the night talking. But don't you dare ask them to talk or they boom, clam up. We decided to take a little different approach. Rather than have a freewheeling sort of just go ahead and tell your story, we're asking everybody that's willing to share the answer to three questions in five minutes or less. Three questions. Interview style. You're not, you're not stuck there alone having to talk. Someone's going to ask you the questions. And the first night, the leader of your group is going to be the one to receive the questions, and they're going to answer the questions. So you can see how it's done. Here's the first question. What prompted you to realize you needed Jesus? What was it in your life? Not going into a whole history, well, I was born at a very young age. No. What, what was it that woke you up to the fact that you had a need? What caused you to realize, I'm blind, I need help? And then we're asking you to describe the moment you came into a relationship with Jesus. Now, use the word moment. For some of you, you're like, man, I don't remember the moment. That's not the issue. Every person, whether you can remember the moment or not, had to come to a place in their life that they realized they could not fix this. They could not do this on their own. They couldn't come to God on their own. Every person who comes to Jesus realizes, my goodness isn't going to get it done. I need to rely on Jesus. So it's not so much about, can I quote that it happened for me on October 4th, 1970 at 845 at night at First Baptist of North Tonawanda. That's not it. What did I do in that moment? I realized I was a sinner and I needed a savior. I realized I could not fix this on my own and that I needed God to change my life. And then, how has your life changed since coming to Jesus? So, bringing my favorite guinea pig on the stage, Bri. And, and we're going to ask the three questions, and I'm kind of curious to hear your answers, honestly. I mean, I know, I know a lot of Brian's story, you know, since about December 12, 1989, 1228 at Evanston Hospital, and they're forward. So I got a pretty good feel for your life. But I'm, I'm really curious, how will you answer this? What prompted you to realize you needed Jesus? All right. So for the next 30 minutes, no. <laughs> No, um, I think my story is like many, many of you in the room. You grew up with a family that went to church, and it was just a part of what you did. Um, and there was a long time leading up to the time that I got baptized where I don't want to say church was a competition, but through Awana, we had memorization. On Sunday mornings, I got to hear Professor Beaker as he uh, shared all the, the wisdom of the Bible, and, and I soaked all that up because it was something that I, I just enjoyed doing. I enjoyed knowing it, you know, having that, that information, but I, I don't know that it really was a reason for me to, to realize that I needed Jesus. There, were, there have been several moments throughout my, my walk. So after, again, I can't point to a specific day uh, when, I, when I actually asked Jesus to enter into my life, but I can tell you that there were many nights where I laid awake staring at the ceiling in fear, like, oh God, if you take us tonight, please remember that I love you and that I, 
I, I did it like every night for probably three years. Um, <clears throat> doesn't happen anymore. I, I realize. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, but there, se- there are several moments where I realize different things about my, my need for Jesus. First, uh, the, the first moment was when, you know, when I was a kid, I was a liar. Uh, I had a real problem with, with lying, whether that was to get my sister in trouble, whether that was to get out of something stupid I did. Uh, I was a big-time liar. And every time that I got spanked or grounded or whatever, I would turn that to an a internal conversation about why me? Why is this always happening to me? Mm. Why is this always happening to me? Why, is, mm. why am I the one that gets caught? Why am I the one that has to deal with this punishment? But, my, but you and, and mom would always come and explain, here's why. We punish you because we know we want you to change. We know that this is not a pattern of behavior that you can sustain and live a fruitful life. And that's, that's when the shift started to happen, understanding the why. And I can tell you that in college, I had my life all planned out. So again, everybody has bumps in the road, right? But, but I had my life all planned out. I was getting out of here. I was moving to St. Louis. I was going home as I saw it because it's you know, where I spent the first few years of my life. And my plans didn't work out. I'll save you the details uh, for another time. But um, in that moment, I had that conversation again, the, the why me? Why is this happening to me? Why doesn't it happen to anybody else? And in a conversation with my mom, she said, what if it's not about you? Hmm. Oh. After hanging up the phone, you know, I'm, I, my plan isn't working. I'm crying. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I actually... Um, I punched my, my grandparents. Fr- I was living at my grandparents in Bloomington at the time. I punched the freezer and left a big dent that I tried to hide with a magnet that they found the moment I moved out. <laughs> so I was, I was furious, but that's when I realized, oh, this, this thing that I've been doing my whole life isn't just an activity. I actually need transformation. I need to stop thinking about me. Hmm. I need Jesus. Hmm. So the second question. Describe, describe that moment. Or in other words, how did you come into a relationship with Jesus? I mean, so that happened at a, a very young age. You know, I, I knew the ABCs because it's very clearly explained in all of our incredible kids programs. So I, at some point, seven, eight years old, that was, that was my window. Got baptized. I understood what uh, communion was. I, I knew all the ropes. And I, I, like, I could give you every answer in the book. Um, but I I truly think that one of, the, one of the pressing times in my life when, when I realized that this is a relationship, not an obligation, uh, was when we were standing on a mountain in, uh, well, it was actually at Pikes Peak in Colorado, and uh, I think you guys did such a good job of explaining this isn't just a something to do. This is, this is a lifestyle that, that God actually wants for you, and you gave me a necklace with the numbers 3-3 three, three on it for Proverbs 3-3. Three, three. Uh, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablets of your heart. Um, that combined with, with the constant reminder from grandma and grandpa to, uh, to guard your heart. You know, the understanding that this is, this is a, not just a lifelong thing, but an eternal thing. Um, it was, so that's not the, the moment that I came into a relationship, but I think that's when it was made real for me. Mm, wonderful. How about... Um What's life like now? It's a lot less about me. Huh. Now, don't get it twisted. I still see very selfish habits in my life. Um, but I think in reflection, when I do those selfish things, it's, I'm angry because I know that that's not me. I know that's not the mission. I know, what, I know how to change. I know how to fix that. Um, but if, whether it's staying until... 1230 because some high schoolers want to hang out and just be in the presence of, of each other and, and with God. There are times in my life where I'd have been like, nope, we got to go. I need to go home so I can do this and I can. It's, my life has become much more about others and showing, um, showing that, that Jesus love to other people than, than ever before. I'd fill in the blank too because I do know you that the, the honesty thing did change. You went from a, it was interesting to watch you as a kid, as a, as a kid who almost just, lying was just, uh, it was a reflex, and it's not a part of who you are now, and that really is the change of Jesus in you. And now, now I can very gladly say that I, I hate liars. 
<laughs> I, that, is, that is the one habit that because I dealt with it for so long, that is the one habit that I, I know it's breakable. And when I see it in other people, when I see people making excuses or, or, or just outright lying to get out of something or to, you know, to, to push off responsibility or something, it, it drives me mentally insane. Mm. And it's not, that's not out of, you know, O'Brien wishes you were different, but your life could be so much different and it could be so much better. Uh, and so I've used that as opportunities to, to share that with, with people as well. And I think that is, that is part of our, our, our journey of being rooted in Christ, that it's easy to look at the sin we committed, see it in other people, and be hacked off that they're not changing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and it really, it, it, it's a tool God uses to grow humility in us, mm-hmm. to say, hey, you think you're so good? This goodness is not you, bubs. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I did this for you. Mm-hmm. So thank you. That was wonderful. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful job. So I hope that that gives you a good picture of how that'll work. And, and you're, you're listening to this, you didn't hear a, a big theology lesson or something. It was just, hey, this is, this is when I realized. This, is, this was the realization that came to me. And this is how I came into that relationship with Jesus and what life looks like now. So let's touch the other two real quick. We talked about roots, rhythms. The whole rooted experience is based on this passage that's so common to us, Acts 2, 42 to 47, that describes the forming of the early church and all the things that early church did together. From that, we see patterns that the people of God are supposed to take on on a regular basis. I love talking about rhythms as opposed to, you know, it's the beginning of the year, you're talking resolution or change of habits. Those things, for some reason, tend to freeze us a bit. Rhythms, rhythms are the nature of life. The water of the ocean literally flows in and flows out. There, there are rhythms to everything. There are rhythms to the season. The moon rises, the moon sets, the sun rises, the sun sets. There are rhythms in your life and mine. And what I find these days is I know that life is going well when my rhythms are in the right place. And when my rhythms get jarred, that's when I know things aren't quite where they're supposed to be. So a piece of growing our roots down deep into Christ is establishing some rhythms and having those rhythms take place consistently. They're going to talk about seven rhythms that we're going to work on together. The first one is the idea of daily devotion. Spending some time every day in the presence of God. Not just church, not just show up church, hear a sermon, see you next week, but every day doing something. That's what the workbook is about. The workbook is, is divided into five days, and you're going to take each of those days. It's got some commentary. It's got some passages. It's got some questions. And we're hopeful over the course of the 10 weeks that you'll develop a daily rhythm of time with God. That one is huge. We'll talk about a rhythm of prayer, prayer not only individually but together, freedom from strongholds. Some of us have, we have sins that bind us, and we need that to be broken. I love in the old version they called this repentance. We need a rhythm of repentance in our lives. You know, you know what makes your, the soil of your heart cakey and the roots won't go down deep? When we hold unrepentant sin in our lives. We need a pattern of repentance. We need a pattern of, of sacrificial generosity. A pattern of serving people beyond ourselves where we see no personal benefit. A pattern of sharing our story with other people. And a pattern of celebration. Celebration and worship. Celebrating the good things that God is doing in people's lives. Celebrating the goodness of God. So we'll hear a lot about the rhythms. And then the other thing is relationships. All of this happens in the context of relationship. It's not me doing this on my own. It's me doing this with other believers. Looking at that Acts 2 passage again, I circled every time there is a plural concept taking place here. Every time they, there, together, all believers, over them all, their fellowship. Time and time again, you see that this was, it was a community experience. One of the reasons for so many of us having roots that are very shallow is that we're trying to do it on our own. Life in God is not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport. Life in God is not lived best in isolation by ourselves. But you know what's funny? Some of us, we've done the relationship thing. It didn't work out well for whatever reason. We say, well, I won't go in total isolation, but I'm going to pick my two or three people, and they're the only ones I'm letting in. Life is not lived best in exclusion either where we say only you, you, and you, everybody else get lost. Life is lived best when we live together. And did we not learn that over the last two years? 
Life is lived best when we live together. So roots, rhythms, relationships, all of this is where we're going to be going together in Rooted. Now let me talk about three things real quick, kind of logistical issues that you're wondering about. First is the workbook. If you're doing the workbook on Sunday morning and you're not part of a group, you're doing this, you're doing this on your own, you're doing it with some people that, you know, workmate, whatever, someone else, you're doing this together. If you're doing this that way, I would suggest that tomorrow morning you do day one of week two. Get at it, all right? So tomorrow morning, you're not doing this in the context of a group, day one of week two. It's, 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 about, it's about God, it's about God, so day one, week two, start. If you're doing this in the context of a group, I want to encourage you to wait to do day one, the day after your group meets. So if your group is meeting Monday, you'll start Tuesday. If your day is meeting Tuesday, you'll start Wednesday. If your day is meeting Wednesday, you'll start Thursday. Get it? Okay? Part of the reason for that, I have a group meeting on Friday and Thursday. And if they start tomorrow, we're going to be talking about that chapter way after it's done. So we're trying to establish a rhythm of talking about what we're doing while we're actually doing it. Next week, we'll come back together and we'll talk in church about week two. And then if you, if you follow along with the pattern of your group, well, then it's going to work out that you're also talking about it as you're completing that material. As you read through the workbook, they're going to talk about something called the prayer experience. Uh, what we've decided to do with the prayer experience is it's going to be a collective opportunity for us on a Sunday morning. So February 20th, that's when we're going to be doing our prayer experience. Now, you don't have to worry that I'm going to make you pick a partner and pray for an hour out loud or something like that. It'll be a creative and beautiful morning where we will experience prayer together. And then we're asking everybody to think through those three questions. Your group leader will show how it's done, and your group leader may at some point say, would you mind sharing the answer to the three questions in our group. Think about it. Think about it. Be open to it. Here's what I find when people share their story. It helps other people. This is part of the together. You know, you hear the story of a kid who grew up in a pastor's home. For some of us, our story is we've never had a season in our life that we did not know of God. And so hearing that in someone else, you hear of someone else, they came, became a believer at 30 after a life of just absolute tragedy, and we can relate to that because that's where we are. So sharing that is really helpful. Let your roots go down deep into him. Let your lives be built on him. Before you um, get done with week one, we asked you to read week one in order to prepare for today. Before you get done with week one, whether you're doing this as part of the Sunday morning experience or part of a group experience, I want you to look at those four stages that they talked about in week one. The move from complacent, complacent, where we just live in a state either apart from God or we push God away. You may remember the classic question, what are the, what are the two biggest problems with our country? A person says, I don't know and I don't care. Exactly. Apathy and ignorance. Those are the problems with our country, Right? complacency is apathy and ignorance. I don't know and I don't care. And God moves us from I don't know and I don't care to realizing that he's got great benefits that he wants for our lives. But we got to keep moving because God doesn't want us to just sit and consume. He wants us to connect with other people and he wants us to move from connected to actually being a person who serves. And he wants to move us from just going through the motions of serving to actually being compelled by the love of Christ to win the world. I want you to look at those four stages and, and identify, where am I? Where am I right now? But more than just, yeah, that's where I am, what's it going to take to get to the next stage? What's it going to take? And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to sit down with a notebook and write out a game plan. I want you to do this. I want you to say, Jesus, you know me better than I know me. Show me in the next 10 weeks what I need to know to move to the next step. Really make this about a relationship with him. This isn't just another moment where you're making up a plan. This is a moment where you're asking God's Holy Spirit to reveal, where am I? And what's it going to take to get to the next place? What's it going to take to get there? Let your roots go down deep into him. Let your life be built on him. And we're to take that verse and take these words with us to communion. We're going to walk to the, either the tables at the front of the room, the back of the room. Gluten-free is at the sides of the stage, and there's a gluten-free station at the back as well.
And as you do, I just, would you, would you, would you pray nothing except this? Jesus, show me what it's going to take for those roots to go down deep into you. Show me what it's going to take to get this house building once again. Reveal yourself to me. Show me. You may not do it this morning as you're walking in communion, but make that commitment today. Jesus, I want to know from you how to get growing again. Let's go to communion. Let there be no mistake. The blind man's story was not about spit and water and sight. If all he had done is washed his eyes, he would see for the rest of his life, and then he would have died and gone into a Christless eternity. It was not enough to have his physical problem gone. Later in the story, after he's had this encounter with the religious leaders, Jesus hears about it. And the Bible says when Jesus heard what happened, he found the man. Can you imagine this? He found the man. And he looked at him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I love this because, you know, this blind guy, he says, I have no idea who he is. If I knew who he was, sir, I want to believe. I want to believe. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you have seen him. And he is speaking to you right now. Yes, Lord, I believe. That's where the change took place. That's blind eyes seeing is fantastic. Changed heart because of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I believe. And it says he bowed down and he worshiped. And I promise you, he worshiped for the rest of his days, and he worships right now in heaven with Jesus. It is not enough to simply have a story of, I used to have this problem, and now the problem is gone. I used to be without a Savior, and now I walk with my King and my Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe that's when the roots start going down deep into the soil. That's when it happens. And so, God, I pray this prayer of dedication upon all of us as we enter into this journey together, that we would not simply look to rearrange the furniture of our lives, but still be living in the con same condemned house God, I pray that we would realize that that condition of blindness, that, that thing that's taking place is an invitation, not just to see again, but to really see, to see the man who can change a life, who can turn a grave into a garden, and to be able to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Let our roots go down deep into you, Jesus, and let our lives be built on you, we pray. In your name now and always, amen. amen. We'll see you.